We're in the back. We're back in the book of Acts, chapter eight. Uh, last week, if you were, if you were here, you remember this little picture, this little car that's moving with a trailer, and we looked at how the early church moved, and the early church literally, literally, they persecution moved the church. People actually left from their location and they went elsewhere. Uh, we have this picture of a map. That little red star is where they started at, which was Jerusalem, and they people went all the way down here to Judea, all the way in here, and people went all the way up to Samaria to get away from persecution because they said, I don't want any part of this. But the, the early church did not just move. We looked and saw that the early church grew because they took Jesus with them which was something we were encouraged to do. Go where Jesus wants you to go and take him with you. Uh, today we start to look at some of the fruit of that persecution, what it led the early church to go, and what it, some of, it, of what was accomplished in that. Uh, this is a little section of what we're going to look at today. Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. It says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on this message again. Thank you, God, for your word. God, I thank you for faithful people that in the midst of... Life situations of having to flee for their lives because of persecution. They didn't give up. They didn't quit. They didn't keep silent, God, but they took you with them and they shared you wherever they went. God, I pray that we would be those kinds of people, that we would go wherever you want us to go, but we would take you with us and we'd be bold to live out our faith. God, again, I just, I thank you for this passage. I, I pray for the, I thank you for the example of, of what Philip did. And God, I pray that we would hear from you, God, what you want us to hear from this passage today. I pray that it is your words that come out of my mouth and not my own. In Jesus' name, amen. So what comes to mind when you hear the word counterfeit? Money, right? Yes, I got that right. Every, usually when we think of counterfeit, we think about money. And we, if we watch movies or we, we think about it long enough, you kind of develop this picture in your mind, possibly I do, of these guys in kind of a dark room. And they've got the, the, the light down and they've got their visors on and they're wearing their, their white t-shirts and they've got guns and it's smoky atmosphere and they're all trying to rake off as much money as they can in order to go swindles, deceive the world, and, and get all the items that they want. But, per, but money's not the only thing that gets um, counterfeited. Did you know that ketchup gets counterfeited? I looked up what are some other things. Well, people make counterfeit ketchup uh, and other food items. People go to the medical field and they'll make counterfeit medicine, such as medicine for malaria. But the, and there's also, which is kind of along the lines of, of money, you think of electronics. People say this is an Apple product when it's really not because Apple stuff costs a lot more. And so people want to try to make something cheap and make it look like something expensive in order to fool a lot of people. But the counterfeit that happens is not just in these kinds of things in the world. We find that there are counterfeit Christians in churches today. 
There's counterfeit Christians in churches all across America, all around the world. And what we seem to be finding today is that a guy was playing a counterfeit Christian in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses uh, more 9 through 25. And we're going to see why do we, we have this conclusion and does he get away with it? What's the impact of his counterfeiting? Is he really deceiving anybody? Because it's going to look like he's a really A-plus Christian, but maybe not so much. So, first of all, we have Simon the Deceiver. That's the guy. Simon is the guy who's, who's going to play this counterfeit Christian if, in fact, he does. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. It says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city, and he amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. So Simon is the deceiver right now. He's a guy who's getting a following behind him and he's misleading people. How is he doing that? Well, if you can read the words in red, it says he practiced sorcery. He's practicing some form of magic. Now, he's not pulling rabbits out of a hat and saying, hey, look what I can really do. But in that day, magic consisted of things like, I'm telling people this is what the future is going to really happen. I'm going to... um, one thing that he does is he says, I can cure diseases through these different cantations by following all these different rituals. You will be healed. And another thing that he says that he can do is he can manipulate the demons. You know, I can, I can sick this demon on that person. You just pay me and I'll sick that demon on that person. And so he is fooling a lot of people by his, by his sorcery, by the magic that he's doing. But that's not the only tool that he's using to deceive people. The second thing he's using is himself. He's boasting that he is someone great. I mean, he's obviously doing something that everybody else can't do. And they're believing him. And he says, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. And a lot of people say, hey, this man has confidence. Look, he's got the courage and look what he's accomplishing and what he's saying. And so they're following him. But there's one more tool that he has. It's all the other people. It says both high and low. They're they're calling him the great power of God. As if to say, God is in this guy because he's able to do all these different kinds of things. Simon was fooling a lot of people. But Simon... But Simon's tricks, he's not the only guy who's ever played this part. You know, there's, there's a lot of people in today's world that are playing the part of Simon. They are a part, they, uh, and, and a lot of them are in churches today, are in religious settings today, uh, whether it's online or on, on a TV, they are in a position where they are the leader and they are deceiving people. Some say, hey, you know what, I can predict the future. I can tell you what is going to happen. You know, you just follow what I said and just follow these dates and this is what's going to take place. You guys have ever heard stories of people predicting the future, right? And people get all excited on their bandwagon and they start following them because they say, they claim that they can do something that nobody else can do. Some claim that they can heal, right? They have, there's healing services in churches. Some guy acts like he's got some kind of disease. He comes up and this pastor or this religious person says, hey, brother, in the name of Jesus, you're healed. And all of a sudden, I can walk again. All of a sudden, I don't feel this pain anymore. And people look and say, wow, that's incredible. But it's because this guy is deceiving them. But also, it's, it's because of... Uh, 
other people. Other people get excited about what this guy can do and what he's accomplished, and they start to tell people. And then the word spreads like wildfire. And today it's even worse than it was then. And that, and that day, I picture Simon in kind of a localized situation. I'm in this town, and yeah, word's going to spread, but how fast is it going to spread by, by word of mouth in that kind of area? It's going to take some time. But how fast has it spread today? It spreads just like that. You just click a button and it's on the internet and it's going out to the whole world. It's on, it's on, it's on the radio. It's on the TV. It's in books and people are deceiving people by the masses today. All day long, people are doing these kinds of things. So Simon was there back then deceiving people, but there are Simons in churches and Simons on the TV and Simons on the internet today that are deceiving far more people than Simon back then could possibly do. And they believe well. A lot of these people today who are being misled, they are very sincere. They're, they're hanging on to this for dear life because they think this is what really matters. Which is why you find out in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, Paul, he says, Now the Bereans were a more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was really true. This is Paul, right? This is the guy who wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament, who once he got saved did 180 degrees, and he is completely different. And he's saying, don't take my word for it. Check it out. And a lot of people are deceived. Do you know why? Because they don't check it out. The pastor said it, so it's good. It's on the internet, so I know it's true. The radio, they wouldn't put anything false on there. And so they say, somebody said it, I'm going to follow it. We were in our Sunday school class, uh, the junior high and high school class, which if you're not coming, you ought to come. We're doing something that's called Current World Problems in the Bible. And this is what we're trying to do. We come up with... We discuss what the world says, something that we hear in the school system, out on the news, but it's some kind of belief system. And it could be, like today we talked about transgender, and what does the Bible have to say about that? Next week it's going to be global warming. At some point it's going to be, can I lose my salvation? But it's all these different kinds of topics that we're getting inundated with from what the world has to say. So we discuss it. What's the world's point of view? Then we divulge our own views, which is probably the quietest part. Unless you, every, because everybody, it's hard to say what you think if you think someone's not going to agree with it. But that's what we do next. We say, this is what I think about whatever that this, this, the topic was. But then we start to look and say, what does God's word have to say about this? Because obviously we don't want just our world's point of view or our own point of view. We've got to get down to scripture to say, what does God think? And then we decide, hopefully, to align our views with what scripture says. But a lot of people, they like step one and step two. Yep, the world says so and so and such and such. And then they, they discuss it with everybody else and say, this is what I think, what do you think? And we just have this one-on-one -on -one or group discussion about a topic. But people seldom get to this point of seeing what does scripture actually say about this? And then when they decide what scripture says of actually taking it and doing that. And that's the problem that Simon's, that people are having with Simon is that they are watching what he's doing and they're taking it all in and they're just doing it because Simon's doing something that seems impressive or special. So Simon, first of all, he's deceiving people as the leader. Next, we find out a little bit more about where this all takes Simon. Uh, I'm going to read verses 5 through 8 and verse 12. 
I don't. Oh, okay. It says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so that there was great joy in that city. Right? So he's preaching. He's doing miracles. Lives are getting changed. Verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. And then verse 13, it says, Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. So now we find Simon as a follower. And what is Simon doing as a follower? Well, first it says that Simon made a proclamation of faith. He says, I believe whatever it is that this Jesus that Philip is trying to, to teach. Perhaps they had an altar call. Philip's talking to a whole bunch of people. He said, if you want Jesus, you guys come up here and you guys can pray with me. Perhaps it was Philip. He came forward and said, I'm going to do that. Then it says he experienced baptism. You know, and there's probably a lot of people who got baptized at one time. There's probably a great big line of people, and it's like, do you believe in Jesus? Don't. Let's go to the next person, right? This was not like a few kids or a few adults up here that you have lots of time with. I'm picturing a great big line. Okay, here's next. Get out of here. Here's next. Let's go. And Philip got in line, and he did that too. And then it says Philip or um, Simon followed Philip. He, he heard his teaching. He was amazed at everything that Philip was able to do. So he is just walking around with Philip. So by all accounts, Simon looks like the real deal, right? Doesn't it look real to you? It looks real to me. Uh, looking at this, that was my first take was Simon is a believer. He's, he's going through. It looks like he's doing everything he's supposed to do. But then in a little while, I'm like, wait a second, maybe he's not the believer that he is portraying just because he went through these things. There's a lot of people in a lot of churches around the world today who do the same thing that Simon did. You know, um, when there's a, an altar call, they come forward. You know, perhaps it was like me. When I was in the Awana program, I was the dumb kid who raised his hand every week to say, I want Jesus as my Savior, which dumb only because I just kept going forward. But I was a kid who kept going forward. And, and there's a lot of people in churches who have done that. They just keep praying. They keep coming forward. Uh, per, then, you know, there's those, the same people, they experience baptism. They give a testimony that says, yes, I believe in Jesus. Someone dunks them under the water and says, okay, get out of here. It's the next person. You know, they're, they're making a proclamation that I am not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm not living anymore, but Jesus is living through me. And then those same people go to church. Right? They go to church whether it's two times a year or whether it's every time the doors are open. Those people go to church. It sounds to me like they're a true believer. It sounds to me like they are the real deal. But, in that, but that's not always the case. And we're going to see with Simon that Simon was the deceiver, but he was also the self-deceived. And here's the, kind of the background that leads us to this point. It says in Acts chapter 8, verses 
uh, 14 to 19. It says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon saw this. He saw, wow, they're doing something new. They're doing something special. All they're doing is putting their hands on people and supposedly they're receiving the Holy Spirit. And now, just a quick side note, this is a little different than the Holy Spirit that you receive. It's the same Holy Spirit, but it's a little different. When you get saved, when you truly put your faith in Jesus for salvation, you get marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's, it's a guarantee that you have eternal life. So Peter and John have absolutely nothing to do with that. Just like with you. You put your faith in Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and you have eternal life. So what, what's happening with Peter and John is something a little bit different. It was a gifting that God gave to them to put on other people to bless them. Now, it might be the same. They might have the same ability like Philip had. He was able to go out and preach. He was able to heal people, right? You and yourself, just because you get saved, cannot just do that. I mean, I can't. I've never touched anybody and healed anybody. You know, I, that's... It's nothing I was able to do. But God gave the apostles the ability to pass something like this on to other people. And Simon saw this and said, wow, I want to do that too. And the reason we start to see what's where his, his facade, where his counterfeit starts to crumble is in the next couple of verses. Because Peter, he recognizes that there is something not right with this picture. You know, because right now, I bet Simon's pulled the wool over a lot of people's eyes. I've, I've said I, I follow Jesus, I was baptized, and I'm following Philip wherever he goes. But Peter looks and says, wait a second, you're not, you're not fooling me. And here's where we really need to listen up. Verse 21, Peter answered, Simon, may your money perish with you because you thought that you could buy the gift of God with money. He says, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right with God. So what he's saying is that you... He's saying that you really don't, you're not on, on board like you think you are. He says, you are not among the faithful, Simon, like you're, you're acting like you are. You, are. you have no part in Christ. You are not really saved like you think you are. You've got to, to get this figured out. And it's coming through by this request. But it seems like a little bit more that it's coming through in his personality. Because in verse 23... He says, I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Uh, this, this bitterness was equivalent to extreme wickedness. It was just probably just oozing out of him. He could just see that I want this thing. You know, you guys think of if you've seen Lord of the Rings and you think of Gollum who wants the ring and it's like he's just obsessed with this thing and he just it just is everything around his life focuses on this. And I think something about that is what Simon is starting to show. And why, did, why do you think he wanted this ability? 
because Simon really is all about himself. His first act of sorcery just got canceled. Everybody else stopped going to his show and started following Philip. They started watching his miracles and taking his teachings. And he's going, wait a second, my pockets are starting to get empty. The crowds are disappearing. And he says, if I can do that too, I can become the center of attention again. I can go somewhere else. I can attract the attention and start uh, becoming, getting back into the limelight again. And Peter could tell that this is the way that Philip, I mean, Philip, yeah, Peter could tell that this is what Simon really had in his heart. And, so, and Peter tells Simon, look, here's what you need to do. He says in verse 22, he says, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. He's like, Simon, wait a second, you need to back up. You, you, you jumped, you got the, the horse ahead of the cart, and you, you did all these things, but you didn't start at the start. You never started at the point of true repentance, of turning away from your sins and turning to Jesus. You just walked through the motions, but you did not truly get saved. He's saying, you've got to go back, and you've got to start at the start and ask Jesus to forgive you. Simon was self-deceived. He's not the only person who is self-deceived into thinking he has salvation when he really doesn't. There's a lot of people in churches today who are in the exact same boat. A lot of people who are in nursing homes on their deathbed thinking they're going to heaven. There's a lot of people who are out watching football because today is the first day of the season. Seattle's going to be 1-0 while the Cowboys are 0-1. A lot of people who are self-deceived everywhere around this world because they think they have Jesus when they really don't. Because they recited a prayer. Because they got baptized. Because they go to church regularly. They think that's what makes them saved. But what they're missing is the exact same thing that Simon's missing. They're missing the true, genuine faith that you have to have in order to have salvation. They went through the, the motions, but someday they're going to be surprised when they stand before God because they did not have true faith. We find in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus is talking to a crowd of people and says, you're going to be surprised, some of you. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me, well, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? I, I've never predicted the future. You know, I've never told somebody what's going to happen. I've never driven out a demon. I've never performed miracles. Those are pretty impressive things that God's allowed them to do. But Jesus says, I'm going to tell you plainly, get out of my face. I never knew you. And by that time when that happens, it is going to be way too late. You are not going to have another opportunity to say, okay, let me try again. Let me put my faith in Jesus now because you had your shot. Now, I'm not here to try to make anybody doubt their salvation. Because if you know you are truly saved, because you put your faith in Jesus, then I want you to, to have that assurance. But if you are not sure, I want you today to be sure. <clears throat> I remember hearing a preacher uh, who, he, this guy has been on the radio for many years, and it's not David Jeremiah, but this was a preacher who talked about when he first became a pastor at a church. And he said, I was 
kind of like ignorant as far as preaching goes. And praise God that he was. Because he, he was asked to come to the, the bedside of a woman who had been a part of the church playing the piano for somewhere around 50 years. And he's like, I didn't know better. So I asked her about her faith. You know, like, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And guess what he discovered? No. She didn't. She'd been in that church for 50 years, sitting through sermons, <laughs> sitting through Bible studies, talking to people, and she had never put her faith in Jesus. Now, all those people probably at her funeral or memorial service probably would have said, boy, this gal played the piano for 50 years. Man, she loved Jesus. Man, she just, she was always there when the doors opened. And they would have had full confidence that she was in heaven. But guess where she would have been? She would have been in hell because she did not know Jesus. So I'm not here to make you doubt your faith, but I want you to be sure of your faith. And Scripture even calls us to do this. It says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. It says in Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. Because I've sinned, I deserve to die and spend eternity in hell forever. Nothing I do matters that I, that, I, that I got up here and preached on Sunday. It doesn't matter that I went to help somebody move or that I fed the poor. Nothing like that matters. Because I've sinned, I deserve to die and go to hell forever. That's the truth. That's the hard part of this message. But then it starts to get good. It said, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for, for us. Christ died for me before I deserved it. I mean, I never deserved it, but he didn't try to get me to straighten out my life first before he said, okay, now I guess I'll apply my blood to your life and so to give you salvation. He says, Josh, you're the dirtiest, rottenest sinner, but I'm going to save you anyway. I'm going to love you. That's why I'm going to be willing to take your punishment for you. And then he makes it easy. He makes it easy. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Jesus, you are Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'm turning from my sins. I'm admitting to Jesus everything. I'm a sinner who deserves to go to hell, and I need you as my Savior. Please save me, and he will give you eternal life. That, in a nutshell, is the gospel. If you are not saved, I want you to think about this. I all day long. Let it haunt you all, all week long, all month long, all year long, all your rest of your life until you make the decision to trust Jesus. And if, you, if you're not sure, why not make sure today? Who cares what anybody else thinks? You know, a little bit, we're going we're gonna to have a song. I'm going to stand up here or, or down here. And anybody who wants to come forward and just to make sure... I'll stand with you and we can pray together. You can follow a sample prayer or you can pray on your own. But I, I want to say, who cares what my family thinks? You know, I know as an eight-year-old kid going up, my parents were in Awana. My dad was a youth pastor. My mom was an Awana leader. And here I'm this kid who just keeps going forward. You're right. And it's like, who cares what anybody else thinks? Don't be the piano player who's 50, who played for 50 years and would just assume anything. Because we all get saved the same way. So if you are not sure of your salvation, let's make sure today. And if you are sure, then pray for everybody else that they would be, have that same confidence as well. So I'm going to pray and just pray a sample prayer. This is what God wants. He wants you to just come as you are. He wants you to come dressed the way you are, feeling the way you are, and as sinful as you are, or as good as you think you are. He wants you to come to Him just as you are. So I'm going to pray a prayer. 
And it's not a magic, it's not sorcery, it's not a magic grabbed out of the hat. You don't have to say the exact same things. God knows if you truly want salvation or not. And if you want that, he will give it to you. And then we're going to sing two verses of our song, and then we'll, we'll close. Dear God, I am a sinner. God, I, I've done more wrong things than I can think of, than I can keep track of. And I know, God, that you know every single thing that's wrong that I have done. And God, because you're, of what your word says, that I deserve to go to hell because I'm a sinner, I can't argue that because you are God and I'm just a man. I'm just a person. And, and God, I'm sorry for the bad things that I've done. I pray that you please forgive me of those things. I need a Savior, and I'm trusting you to be my Savior to give me eternal life. Not the good things that I've done, not what everybody else thinks, but God, I'm just trusting you to be my Savior to give me eternal life. And please help me to live for you from now on. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.